With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Old Lady Speaks on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number seven, the Christi, no, let's go with the Simone Zaza episode, or the Simone Pepe episode. Simone Pepe. <laughs> I am joined by the usual crew here of Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. Greetings, Danny. How are you guys doing? Joined by Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Good afternoon. And Raul Jimenez's best friend, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Happy to be here, as always. So when we started this podcast, it came during a time when there was not much going on because, well, there weren't any games. So we've got a very special episode for you this week because we've got a game to talk about. And what a thriller it was, right, guys? Very much so. Edge of your seat (laughs) stuff. (laughs) As expected. So, obviously, the Copa Italia semifinal, second leg against Milan, actually finally happened. And Juventus, regardless of how drab the final 65 minutes or so were, we can start there and just get uh, everybody's general thoughts. And we'll start with a question for Sergio. Knowing who Juventus are going to be playing in the next leg, what can we say about who Napoli beat on Saturday? I mean, just just what we all know. I mean, what it is a well-known fact that Inter are frauds. I mean, they are frauds. They've been frauds. They will continue to be frauds. <laughs> Can't, I knew very, that was coming on us, and I still can't can't catch my train of thought after that very Uh, diplomatic response there i will not forgive them for having like a nice run to start the season i mean like oh yeah this is our year like move on like this is us and then they proceeded to crash out of every competition so good for them good on them keep trying we'll kick it over to sam what what did you take out of this one obviously you know you were on your usual match recap duty but it, it seems like pretty much everybody's general thoughts on the game are along the same line as Maurizio Sarri, where it was good for the first part of it, and then things just tailed off significantly from there. Yeah, I think, and that's to be expected given the amount of given the amount of layoff and the fact that match fitness is probably not great. I mean, two out of the three guys on the team that tested positive for COVID nineteen were in the starting eleven, so you would, and, and it shocks me that Paolo Dybala played this entire game. Let's talk about that first. How, you know, earlier this week he was saying, yeah, I'm not still, still not a 100%. And then he goes out, plays 90 minutes, and was probably, with the exception of Rodrigo Bentancourt, the best player on the field. You know, those first 30, 35 minutes were really fun. And it showed just how good Juve can get. A lot of people that I talked to during and after the game 
we're still a little bit upset at the final ball problems that we've been having because you know that that's kind of been the the story of the team for the the month or two before the shutdown was a lot of good passing a lot of getting the ball into good spots and then either the final pass or the shot weren't good enough and that's something whether that's because it was the first game after a 95-day layoff or because that's still a problem remains to be seen. But we overall, it was just really fun to watch Juventus again. <laughs> and we're, you know, you know that, that those first 30 minutes are something to build off of. And although I will say that Sadi really needs to learn how to deal with these new five-sub things because that substitution killed the game. Because Juventus, even though they weren't marauding the way they were in the first half, they were still controlling the match up until that triple sub at the hour mark. And that was when Milan got themselves back into the game. So Saudi's going to have to work on that. You know, that's going to, that's going to be a major way of keeping people fit and healthy is to use those five subs to, to rotate people out. But you can't do it like that, especially not when you're putting Sammy Kadira on the field. I mean, I mostly echo uh, what you said there, Sam. And, you know, so first of all, minor confession here. I saw parts of the game, didn't um, manage to watch all of the game. The contractor come in and install air conditioning in our place. I had to entertain him for a while. And then, uh, you know, with one eye, I was uh, watching the game. And then uh, he was talking. He was like, yeah, this uh, might cost you $3,000. And I'm like, Paolo, Ronaldo. Oh, God. So, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, $3,000. Yeah, that'll do. But, so, yeah, I mean, I saw bits and pieces of the game. But from what I watched, yeah, I mostly echo what you said, Sam. You know, the one thing I do think of is like, and before this game started, I thought to myself, okay, how am I going to like, how am I going to judge these remaining games now? For, so the, the remaining Serie A games and of course, Champions League games and Coppa Italia games. Like, how am I going to judge our performances for this remainder of the season? Because I mean, A, it feels sort of like a new season starting, but not really. So basically I feel kind of, I feel like it's a little unfair to judge the team like now based on like our standards of how we judged them before COVID, because I think it's just such a different situation. Uh, it, it doesn't really feel, I mean, obviously it doesn't feel like a regular season. It doesn't feel like regular football anymore, just because of all the stuff that, you know, with COVID that happened and, and obviously all the things happening outside of football, it just feels like such an unusual situation. I think, okay, you know, I'm going to judge the performance, but I'm like, well, should I really judge them? Like, that harshly given all the stuff that's going on. So I kind of struggle with that, um, how to assess the team from now till the end of the season. Now, of course, next season, you know, that will just be a, you know, clean slate and then we're all back to normal, of course. So fair enough with that. But um, so, yeah, that was, that's kind of my first thought with that. And then just regarding the substitutions issue, you know, I think, I think to myself, okay, what, what are the functions of substitutions? Like what are, what are the general ideas that managers use substitutions for? So first of all, obviously, tactical changes secondly to refresh kind of the squad like okay someone is just clearly out of energy so you know fitness reasons but then you know third there's also the cynical reason of time wasting so i think to myself okay you have three you've gone from three to five substitutions now how are you going to use those two additional substitutions are you going to use them more like oh nice i have more opportunities to waste time <laughs> or be nice i'll have more ways to keep the team fresh or see i have more space for tactical adjustments in the game in game management i have more scope for in-game management so 
I wonder what Sari's general goal is of like, okay, now I have two extra sub substitutions. How am I going to use them? Based on the match, uh, well, as he said in his own words, he got a little too excited. But based on the match, I guess, I mean, that triple substitution were essentially all straight swaps. There was no real tactical adjustment from, I mean, from the way I perceived it anyway. It didn't really seem like much of a tactical, tactical adjustment there. So I guess he was just going for fresh legs there, which fair enough, you know. But going forward, I, I wonder how he is going to manage that. If he's going to, you know, add more room for tactical adjustments or just straight fitness swaps. And then just lastly, on that, on your point about Dybala, Sam, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I guess as I've gotten older with like, or more experienced, I guess, as a, a fan of football, I try and think, okay, you know, we have our perceptions of the way the club is run and like the things that players say. But then I was also try to think, okay, what about the staff in the club? Like, what's the expertise they have? And like, what are, what are the conversations I could be missing, you know? And Okay, Dybala came out with that interview and said, I'm not 100%. But then I wonder, okay, what conversations? Because surely, I mean, I trust Sari and the medical staff enough to think surely they've had these conversations with especially Dybala and Lugani and Matuidi, players that tested positive. And, you know, really thought like, okay, we are primarily concerned about your health. Like that is our priority. So... I assume, I very much assume and hope that they've had an honest conversation about like, look, first of all, do you feel comfortable playing 90 minutes? And secondly, does our medical staff think you are physically able to do so? And I mean, I would just hope and trust that they had these conversations and that they all agreed on he'll be fine for 90 minutes. I hope. I mean, I really do hope so. But I, I just thought that as maybe a kind of a counterweight to like, or just a kind of an additional perspective on the on Dybala playing for 90 minutes so uh, sorry for monopolizing the last five minutes of the conversation but uh yeah there's my uh, initial thoughts on the, on the game it's okay we'll fix it in editing oh how dare you <laughs> <laughs> i would agree on one thing it was awfully weird to see Dybala play the, the full 90 minutes especially after admitting that he wasn't 100 in but yeah, I would agree 100% with Chuck. I'm, I'm guessing they, they had a conversation and they felt like he could still play 90 minutes because the one thing we haven't really talked about, it, the, the final is in three days. I mean, that, that's going, we're recording right now on, on Sunday. So the final is on Wednesday. So you have a guy who's been one of the most important parts of, of the team who is, is coming from recovering from, from COVID who had played 90 minutes on, on Friday, and now you expect him to go 90 minutes again on Wednesday? Or, I mean, what is that going to look like? Because I think the, the five substitutions, the most important thing for me would be to really realize who needs to be out there for 90 minutes, who doesn't, because how quickly the games are going to come one after the other. So that's going to be really interesting to see. And that was honestly, as the as the minutes were expiring on the, on the game of Friday, that's the only thing that I was thinking. Like, oh, so we're just going to go with, like, Ronaldo's going to play 90 minutes, Dybala's going to play 90 minutes, Alexander's going to play 90 minutes. Like, all of these guys, they're massive parts of the squad. We don't really have anyone in quality that you can just slot in there and think, oh, he's going to do just as good a job. They're some of the most important players on your team. And I understand that you want them playing as much as you can, but at the same time, it's like we have a final in three days. How is that gonna? 
how's that going to work? Because the, the fourth sub that Sara used was bringing in Juan Cuadrado for Danilo, which is another like-for-like substitution. You could, I mean, my expectation would be to see Cuadrado start on Wednesday, considering he would be the, the fresher player, but who knows? I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see. So, yeah, just as general observations of the game, I think you guys really kind of covered it. The first 15, 20 minutes were great. We're full of, of things happening, of mayhem happening. It was fun. It was entertaining. And then we had to sit through whatever it was left of the game. But, I mean, yeah, it's hard to judge a team that, you know, wasn't in the best shape coming out, coming into the shutdown, and now is starting back up. I mean, yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to be super harsh about it. But, yeah, I mean, I would have hoped for a goal. At least, I don't think hoping for a goal is hoping for that much, but especially when you're playing with a man advantage for like seven plus minutes. But, you know, as a, as, as a whole, we're in the final. That's really all you could ask for. I know Sam mentioned him kind of in, in passing a little bit, but Rodrigo Bentecourt pretty much just picked up where he left off pre-coronavirus shutdown with his performance. And I know the Italian press has really been keeping a whole lot of deserved praise on him the last couple of days but outside of his performance and probably Dybala's performance and maybe a few others as well did was there a lot to take out of this one or is it just kind of like like it seems like I'm falling into where it's like okay it's the almost treating it like a, a preseason friendly almost where it's like okay this is the first game back they're still getting their fitness up but you know regardless of what the stakes were it's like this this is going to take a little bit of time to, you know, hit full stride if it ever does hit full stride. So I guess what kind of stuff did you guys take out of it besides the fact that Rodrigo Pentagor is really becoming one of Juventus's best players? I mentioned this a little bit in my recap during my player ratings, but the fact that Miralem Pjanic, while not excellent, was also not offensive was something to keep an eye on because if he, if he plays anything close to what he could, what we think he could do, during the rest of this season, that's going to be a game changer and it'll allow Saudi to mix and match the midfield a little bit more as opposed to just, you know, up out, out and out banishing him. Like I said, he wasn't anything incredible, but he also wasn't this, like the putridness that, that we had in January, February. And I was also really kind of surprised with how well Danilo played especially those first couple of minutes. Like Sergio said, I, I would be surprised to see him starting in the final. But if he can get a little bit more consistent on the better end, and obviously you also have to take into account quality of the opposition because Milan is not a great team and they were down to their three top guys <laughs> or three of their top guys, especially Teo Hernandez, who really must suck when your best player is a fullback. But that's probably what it is for, for Milan right now. It's going to be a lot different on Wednesday in terms of quality of the opposition, although I don't know if, I mean, we'll get to that. But yeah, I, I was more, I, Pjanic was, a, once we found out he was starting with somebody that I really wanted to look at and focus on, and there, there, it was better. But is it going to stay that way? I completely agree with what Danny was saying earlier in, in regards of the feel of the game and how we should rate the, the performances of the players. It did feel like a preseason game. It did, it has entirely the feel of like an like an international friendly where they have like a ton of subs allowed and you'll see three new guys come in at the same time. 
especially the way the the subs were made where it was a like for like change it was like okay we tried this guys let's try this guy's in the same position with when Sami Kedira, Adrian Rabiot, and Federico Bernardeschi came in at the same time. It definitely feel, felt like an international friendly and like, okay, let's see what these guys can do. And you could tell there was no co- there was no cohesion. There was no, I mean, the game completely ended from a tactical standpoint. I mean, the, the guys who came in really didn't do any better than the guys who started. And it was very hard to judge from that point on the, the performances. I mean, once Juan Cuadrado came in, they were playing against a completely gassed 10-player Asim Milan side. Like, he was just running down the sideline with no one even attempting to stop him up until, like, box-to-box runs. I mean, it, it's just very hard to come with a, with a grade or with really to say, oh, this team is better than they were when you know, when the lockdown started, when the shutdown started. We can't say that. We don't know. There's just, it was just a very weird game from the get-go to really say, you know, what can we expect for for the final? I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. And just to harp into what, what Sam said, I actually was very excited to see Miralem Pjanic play. I know we all kind of wrote him off during the shutdown. We're all like pretty much excited to see the Rodrigo Bentancuera start and kind of shift Pjanic to the side, but he started again, and like Sam said, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. I mean, I don't know if what he showed us really deserves any, I mean, I wouldn't say recognition, but I don't know if that's enough to unseat Bentan who The moment he slotted into that side, he immediately played better. Like, the team looked better. I don't know how can you keep giving this guy chances after after what we've seen from Bentan I I know you're, I mean, I know he's a good player. We've seen it, but I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if he should still keep getting chances at that position. I think he had to play much better than what he showed on Friday for me to really say he's the better option going forward. I think just it's clear cut that Bentenko should be starting at that position from now on, starting on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Also do agree with that again. And just to kind of highlight, or slightly switch gears, but to highlight another player that I, that, well, a standout player, well, maybe that's a little much, but I thought Matthijs de Ligt, of course, was, uh, Homer. was very good. <laughs> I knew I was going to get, I was going to get <laughs> stick for that one. <laughs> but no, I mean, he was a player I was specifically, you know, going to be paying attention to just with respect to the center back choices that Sari has of, you know, Bonucci, de Ligt and Chiellini. But yeah, no, I thought I thought he played well, and I mean, granted, when the opposition striker and opposition's main offensive outlet is sent off after twenty minutes, I mean, <laughs> I would hope you would perform well as a center back. <laughs> so uh, of course, ditto Bonucci. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, I thought you know both of them were good, and you know, De Ligt played well as well. So I was glad to see that. And just to kind of highlight something that Hunter said in his article that was published just a few minutes before we got on the call here. The article titled Ventus, Juventus show flashes of brilliance and lingering Dybala Ronaldo issues. Hunter pointed out that, you know, when Sari took Douglas Costa of, off the field, quotes, the already clunky partnership between Cristiano Ronaldo and Paolo Dybala totally fell apart. So um, I thought that was a, you know, good observation there. And just, yeah, just an interesting thing to highlight as well. To go off of what you just said, 
I wonder if that really what Hunter wrote about Costa being the key to Dybala and Ronaldo being, uh, you know, uh, being able to coexist together, how much of that it was Friday, as opposed to Ronaldo just having a bad day. Because out of everybody in the starting 11 on Friday, the one person that you could look at and say he did not play well at all was Cristiano Ronaldo, which probably was one of the biggest surprises of the, of the day. We are, I mean, looking at the, the penalty, which was a miss. Donnarumma got a finger on it, but I don't think it was going to, I don't think it was going to go in any way. I think it was always hitting the post. And, you know, he, what else, whatever else he did was not that great. He was trying to dribble around two people and getting dispossessed every five minutes. He did not have a good game. And we'll see what we'll see how the rest of the things go but i wonder if that was just was that a function of costa was that a function of Dybala? was that a function of just ronaldo not being all that great i i would agree i think again we, we go back to the same thing how do you judge a team or a player that hasn't had any activity in the last three months right i mean it's tough to to kind of be too harsh but i would completely agree that that ronaldo did look a bit I mean, he didn't look like himself immediately. I mean, just by, you know, missing the penalty kick, something that hits him as sure as any player, maybe ever, or at least in the current era. I mean, that, that guy is as sure a thing as it comes to penalty kicks. He missed it. Then he had a bunch of, you know, the, the step overs and the things like that that were not working, were off by just a little bit. I mean, you could tell that he was struggling. There were, I think there was a point where there was a cross and he tried to kind of like head it with the back of his head and he completely whiffed and it just bounced on the floor and it kept going like I mean he was just out of form he was just out of rhythm he had one play at uh, like in the later stages of the game where he kind of made a run and then a cross and then did a cross with like a Rabona style play that it was kind of unnecessary but at the same time it was for me, it was a positive development because like, okay, he's trying to kind of find his groove again, trying to find his rhythm again. It didn't work, but I mean, it was one of the better plays he had. I, I would, I don't know if it's as much as, as Sam said, the partnership or just a guy who's not firing on all cylinders. He looked slow. He looked out of rhythm. I mean, he is Ronaldo. He, he's a hell of a competitor. I'm sure he will try everything he can to kind of get back into that rhythm. And Sari will give him every single chance to get back to what we're used to him, to what we're using from him. But yeah, I agree. It wasn't his best game. And that definitely affected the general development and the general performance of the game. Absolutely. You know, whenever, whenever I hear someone like criticize a person or a player or something like, yeah, he's not very good. <laughs> I think of that, that scene from Mad Men when uh, Pete uh, tells Bob in the elevator, like, not great, Bob. <laughs> I just, I just had to, I just had to shoehorn that one in here. <laughs> you could use that, use that quote for pretty much the majority of, of the game. <laughs> but, so it's just my favorite show ever. It's just yeah. a brilliant, brilliant show. And Breaking Bad, of course. Don't don't get Chuck started on the Walter White references or else we, we might be here oh, for a while. I sure will. <laughs> and also don't start cussing like Jesse or else we will we won't have much of a podcast anymore. So 
speaking of the next game, obviously it's also a Coppa Italia fixture, but it, it, it comes against a opponent who looked a whole lot better than either Juventus or Milan did, and that's obviously Napoli. Their game against the frauds known as Inter on Saturday was pretty entertaining for the most part, I thought. Obviously, the, the goal that sent Napoli into the cup final was pretty <laughs> pretty damn impressive. So, you look up against the run of play in a glossary, you will find a video of yeah. that goal. Yeah. Because that yeah. was just so incredibly... <laughs> I mean, it was... It was as I said on our, our Twitter account, it was David Ospina to the max where he had a, a just a huge blunder like that for, for Inner's goal. And then all of a sudden he just starts making great save after great save and then contributes, you know, the the long pass that started the, the massive counter that resulted in the in the goal. But what are you guys thinking about Wednesday and what are you guys thinking about how uh, both Napoli played and and how Juventus at this stage of the restart might might match up against them. I think we'll see a lot tactically very much similar from from Gennaro Gattuso. I think we're going to see a sit back and counter kind of a style to this. What you said about Ospina is really interesting because there's not going to be an Ospina on Wednesday. He's suspended on yellow card accumulation, so we're I guess we'll see Alex Medet. But it's, you know, obviously this is a Napoli team under Gattuso that you know, the first time we played against them matched up pretty well against us. I was, I was remember being walking out of Animal Kingdom in Orlando on my honeymoon and getting goal notifications going, God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. I mean, obviously, the f- first off, how each team recovers from this game. I mean, they, you know, they say it, it takes more out of you to defend than to attack. And if that's the case, Napoli is going to be on a physical at a bit of a physical disadvantage, but you know, you, you saw a lot of the, the guys like, uh, like Mertens, like Insigne kind of buzzing around like flies around the much bigger players of, of Inter. And that there's a similar dynamic there. They're smaller, they're quicker. They might be, they'll be able to exploit space that we get, that we allow them if we allow it to them. I think we'll see Juve on the front foot for a lot of the game, but the counter attacking guarding against counterattacks is going to be absolutely huge and you're just you know if if you let even that little thing they are gonna they could be deadly on that that count it was absolutely classic the counterattack that that gave Napoli the deciding goal in the tie so it's it's it I think it's going to come down to scoring as much as possible and really getting that and really sealing off those counterattacking lanes that's going to be the the biggest thing from a defensive standpoint. I would agree with Sam that I'm, I'm actually pretty nervous about the final Wednesday. I think for the type of game that Juventus has, Napoli is a much tougher opponent uh, rather than Inter, who, again, number one, like we've said over and over, they're frauds. And number two, I mean, they, they, they outplayed Napoli for large parts of the game in the fact that, in the sense that they had the ball, they were generating attacking opportunities. They were really not letting Napoli do a whole lot, but Napoli knows how to defend and they know how to defend real well. And they have like Sansa, they have guys like Mertens, like Insigne, who fast, speedy guys who know how to counterattack. That's exactly the type of team that's given Juventus trouble in the past. This is going to be the rubber match of the season. We did 
we beat them 4-3 in the first half. They beat us 2-1 in the second half. They haven't been an easy rival in the last, I don't know, five, six years. Like, this is a good team, and this is a team that's definitely going to give Juventus a lot of a lot of trouble. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I would have rather played Inter just because you know that Inter is not going to be as comfortable sitting back and just allowing Juventus to dictate the pace of the game. And Napoli is going to do that. Napoli is going to allow Juventus to dictate the pace of the game. They're going to let them have the ball. They're not, I mean, they just saw that we can't really, I mean, Milan allowed us, well, I wouldn't say allowed us. I mean, they had one man less. So they pretty much gave the ball to Juventus and we did nothing for large stretches of the game with that ball. So Napoli is going to see that and be like, okay, let's do the same thing. They're going to sit back. They're going to wait to pounce. And like I said, I'm nervous. I think it's going to be a pretty tricky game for Juve. I wouldn't even, I think it's going to be pretty even match. I wouldn't even call them favorites, to be honest. I think it's going to be a pretty evenly matched game. What, the other thing I came out with is that it is a travesty that even with five substitutions, Irving Lozano, the Mexican winger, can't get not one minute <laughs> for that Napoli team. It is outrageous that he cannot get on the field for one single minute. I mean, that's, that's just so, so sad what's happened with him. He cannot catch a break. He needs to leave Napoli as soon as possible because it's, it's outrageous. Absolutely. Outside of that, yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Sergio, do you want to comment on the fact that as Inter and Napoli were playing, the ESPN Deportes announcers were talking about Raul Jimenez possibly going to Juventus? We're speaking it into existence. Everyone's saying it. Like, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. It's going to happen. No, but I did. I, I heard it, and I think they prefaced it with a lot of people are talking about this, and a lot of people are asking us about this. So there's a buzz. There's a buzz happening. I'm happy. I'm happy to be part of that buzz. So we can keep banging the drum for that one. So you're like in speed with Sandra Bullock, just driving the bus to who knows where. what happens. Yes. <laughs> We're willing it into existence. The ESPN announcers are, are on it now. Everyone's on it now. It's going to happen. Just quickly before we get into the Twitter questions, who are, I mean, there, there's obvious answers to this one, but who are some of the, the players that you guys are looking at to be like, okay, if Juventus want to win this Coppa Italia that they need to play well, Di Paolo's an obvious, Ronaldo's an obvious, but who are some of the other guys that are like, okay, this, this dude needs to play well if Juventus want to celebrate their first trophy on the se- of the season on Wednesday? No, I'd say I hate to go for the obvious answer or seemingly obvious answer, but I'd say if he plays, which is likely, Pjanic. I think just because of the the pressure they put in mid- midfield, uh, Napoli, and just you know, yeah, just a very good defensive and pressing game that they play. Um, and Milan Pjanic is notoriously notoriously struggles with that, and I mean, you know, it's not. Obviously not an easy thing, but yeah, I'll say Milan Pjanic. I'm going to go with your guy, Chucks. I'm going to say Delict because if if this game goes the way I think it will in terms of possession, we're going to start seeing Leonardo Bonucci sneak up and add his passing skills into the attack, and that's going to leave Delict as the guy that needs to either snuff out or at least slow down 
any counterattacks that come by. He's, he's going to be the last line of defense, the first and last in some cases. So he's going to have to be really quick on those. He's going to have to snuff things out or at least get to the point where help can arrive. Because if not, that Napoli counterattack can overrun things very quickly. Uh, on the same vein, I would be very interested to see who starts at that right back position. We saw Danilo play a, a pretty decent game, I think, all things considered against Milan. So it's going to be interesting to see if he gets the nod again or we get a guy like Juan Cuadrado, who is brings a lot more pace, a lot more attacking creativity, but he is not the most disciplined guy when it comes to tracking back and defend at times. You know, you, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get with him. So it's going to be very interesting to see who plays in that position because if it's Juan Cuadrado, that's going to be definitely a matchup to see if he can come back and, and do the defensive things that he needs to do to snuff out those inevitable Napoli counterattacks that are going to be happening. So that's going to be like interesting to, to see. And harping back to what Chuck said, the midfield, I mean, whether or not Miralem Pjanic gets another shot at that center midfield position or whether Rodrigo Ventancur is the one that starts now and maybe we see Pjanic as a stop. Maybe we see him play a little bit higher up the pitch. Who knows? I mean, I think that's going to be another interesting matchup to see, but I think that's going to be kind of like the make or break decision in the midfield to see how we set it up against Napoli. That's going to be really interesting to, to see. All right, we talked a little bit about him before, but I'll start the Twitter questions off with this from at the true ROAC. Inform Ronaldo wins you games, but on his off nights like Friday night, it feels almost as if Juventus have one less man on the field. Do you have the capacity to win regardless of his performances, but even when in form, do you think Ronaldo's step-and-go play holds sorry ball back from fully functioning? Yes. <laughs> He's never been that kind of guy that's like a slick passing guy. That's actually one of the biggest differences between him and Lionel Messi in this eternal battle between the two is that Messi has this, you know, has had a lot of success and been brought a lot of success by that kind of passing tiki taka move. Whereas Ronaldo, you know, during his time at Madrid was the guy and everything else was built to support him. Whereas Messi, as good as superhumanly good as he is, also benefited from and benef- and gave benefit to the attacking systems that Pep Guardiola had when he was at Barcelona. Ronaldo is the kind of guy that needs the squad built around him, especially now, given that he doesn't have that dynamic speed on the wing anymore that he used to have when he was in his prime. It, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this works out going forward, especially since I don't see Sadi leaving this year, if, if for no other reason than Juve is not going to want to pay two coaches at once, given the, the, the lack of revenue over the shutdown and the fact that there are no fans. Yeah, I probably do agree with, with Sam, what you said about Ronaldo. I mean, then again, you know, I like to think that a, a player that experience, I mean, he's, what is he now, 34, I believe, of just having played with so many different coaches throughout his career and with slightly different systems at Real Madrid that he would be able to just adapt his game to a bit more fluid passing game, a bit quicker rather than get the ball, stop, fake, 
you know, little jink here, a little jink there. And then instead of just, okay, get the ball, go, get the ball, go. I think what I do see with him, though, is like, I think he does well with like just the quick one-twos with someone like Dybala. Um, you know, he gets the ball, stops, and then a quick one-two, one-two with Dybala. I think he does that quite well. But yeah, I mean, in general, is it 100% conducive to Saeed's game? Probably not the way Ronaldo plays, but... I like to think that both Sari and Ronaldo could adapt their games games accordingly to find a middle ground, really, between something that both maximizes Ronaldo's strengths and benefits the system. 35, by the way, Chucks, Uh, as of February. Oh, well, well, happy, what is it, uh, four-month-late belated birthday? Eh, What is time? (laughs) What is time? It's all an illusion. It has no meaning anymore. (laughs) I'll start the next one out with Sergio, since one of the questions is actually directed somewhat at him. Now that the season is starting to come back, who do you think will solidify themselves as a definite starter? And part two, since this is a Handi Vandi question, should we punish the round table for blasphemy by showing an inch of support for inner, even as saying that, that their kit they wore against, against Napoli was, was rather cool. So Sergio, even though you're not directly mentioned, should we, should we shame you for, for saying something nice about inner yesterday? I'll go, I'll do you one further. The last, last season's inter kit, the, the men's color joint that they had, that was really cool too. They have some cool kits. They've done Nike has done a nice work designing kits for them. I mean, it it hurts to say because I think both the black kit they wore yesterday and that mint kit I, I mentioned before have probably been better than anything Juventus had for the last like five years. So it really, I mean, it sucks, but it's true. It's just true. I would never buy it. I would say that, but I mean, you can. You can admire that and say, oh, it's a cool kit. I mean, even if you don't get it, it's a cool kit. But going back to the other question, I, I hate to keep, keep going on this, but it's a huge, I mean, it has to be Rodrigo Bentancur, right? I mean, he has everything to finally be the guy in that Juventus midfield. He's been, you know, growing by leaps and bounds the last couple, couple of years, and he now has the chance to solidify himself as that central midfielder in the Sarri system. Every time he's played there for the last six, seven months, he's looked better than Miro and Pjanic. Every time Pjanic's played there, he's looked you know, kind of slow, kind of sluggish. He hasn't been the best. If he can unseat Miro and Pjanic, if he cannot unseat Miro and Pjanic right now, you have to wonder, is he ever going to do it? Is he ever going to get that knot? I think he should get that nod. I think he's going to be the one that I'm going to be looking most forward to solidify himself as a, as a first name of the, in the team sheet type of guy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much... I mean, Bentancourt, if, if Ramsey does leave this summer and they don't give Bentancourt the eight shirt, I'm going to be mad because he kind of deserves it. I was a little bit mad that they didn't give it to him this year, frankly. Benta is... is He's going to be the building block of this midfield for a very, very long time, I hope. And and what's great about it is that he can do pretty much anything in midfield. You know, he spent the majority of the game on Friday basically playing the Allen role for Sadi as opposed to the Jorginho role. And then, you know, we've seen how well he can play as a regista as well. Uh, and and he excelled and he, and he excels in both. He, you know, he needs to be the guy. 
Uh, ditto that i hate to i hate to be such a you know usually i'm such a contrarian i'm like no i disagree with everything you say i'm like no actually i think this but no i have to have to agree uh once again so <laughs> obviously i'm completely in the tank for benton core i mean he's you know he's becoming one of my favorite players in this squad and or i mean he has been i shouldn't say becoming but i think just the real consistency that he's shown this year for young players you always kind of look for that light to go on fully and I think this year has been that year for him where it's like okay now he knows he belongs and the thing that impressed me besides the fact that like Sam mentioned he went from you know basically being the guy who just runs around and presses like hell and then all of a sudden drops back to the regista role and doesn't really show any drop off but how high he was pressing up the field I I mean, maybe it's a product of not seeing a game for almost three and a half months, but I can't remember him pressing that high compared to previous games. I mean, he was almost running into the Milan 18-yard box at some point. He was just so damn high up the field. And, you know, you, you saw him covering a lot of ground that, say, Dybala wasn't really doing, which you would think somebody playing out wide on the right might might do. So. Yeah, I mean his his performance against Milan was I mean it's just it's another one to chalk up to be like all right this this dude is clearly becoming like we've said before a building block for this midfield and for this team in general and I know he signed a contract extension through 2024 last year but I hope I hope they're working on something soon because <laughs> they they need to lock this this kid up for many more years to come and I mean the way he's played this year he he fully deserves it. Friendly reminder that we've got him for a washed up Carlos Tevez in that in the swap deal with Vulcan Juniors. I mean, just talk about talk about steals right there. I mean, I think I heard the the ESPN Deportes commentators talking about the, the possible Gonzalo Wayne transfer to Thing River Plate this transfer season in a similar deal than the one that sent Carlos Tevez to Boca Juniors. A few years ago, and I mean, if you can get a prospect like Bentancur in the same manner, I think it's it's not a terrible idea, to be honest. Yeah, he's the last great gift of Carlitos Tevez. Yeah, it's funny because that I remember from that transfer, I remember how like people were like, "This is ludicrous that we're just letting him go." Because I mean, we let him go, Tevez. We let him go for I mean, peanuts. I remember in terms of cash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And then I think was it a year and a bit later he went to um, was it Shanghai Shenhua for like some astronomical fee. He he made what felt like about a million dollars a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember people just looking at that. Stop paying him, so we went back to Argentina. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's uh, so it was a good deal after all. And be- and speaking of that deal, Bentecourt wasn't even the first one to play for Juventus. I mean, you remember the great Guido uh, Varela? Yeah, the great heralded prospect of the deal wasn't wasn't Bentecourt. He was one of those was it five or six players that Juve had options to to bring over to Italy a year after the the deal happened. So I mean, that's I mean that just chalk it up to great scouting by Juventus to identify Bentancur as the one to yeah. to be like and I think that really the, the the how he's so good he was a teenager playing the River Plate Boca Juniors rivalry in that atmosphere which is we think that we there are some insane atmospheres in Europe 
go to one of those games. The, 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 the River Plate Club of New York City goes to the bar that my Juventus club goes to in New York. During a, during a, a River Boca game, they come out there with like full-on four-piece drum sets inside the, a basement room in a bar, just slamming and blasting music and drums. and Oh gosh, it's insane. So just like magnify that by a stadium. And that's the atmosphere you get in those. And so I, 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 I think I read, this might've been Horncastle actually years ago, his first year with the, uh, Bentoncourt's first or second year with the team on ESPN said, you know, that that was kind of the crucible that made him so, so good so quickly because even, even his, that first year, Allegri was giving him starting assignments and games you wouldn't normally expect to see a guy like him. And he acquitted himself very well. And I think that's, that's one of the big reasons why. From at Chiesa di Totti, what's the deal with grape nuts? You open the box, no grapes, no nuts. It's <laughs> like a- Inter, they're frauds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on this, on, we'll end it on a serious note from uh, my buddy at Chelston D'Souza. Thoughts on Aaron Ramsey leaving? Should Juventus make a tidy profit on him or is he worth keeping around for another season? It's a bit early to tell now. I mean, I think it's a bit early to say uh, to say to, to sell him. Nah, come on. I mean, I think he was on the, on the upward trajectory just before COVID hit. So I think it's a little premature to to cut our losses this early, uh, unless there really are such financial financially pressing issues that we can't afford a salary. But no, nah, it would strike me as pretty premature to do that. I think it would depend a lot on if he ends up being the make weight for somebody for a deal that for a player that could make a big difference in the midfield. If you end up with him in a swap or as a swap plus cash for a guy that can really make a difference, then I would be open to it. Like you said, he was on the upper trajectory, but you also have to consider his history of injuries and if that's going to be worth it. He opt injured and Ramsey is he is most commonly known. It, it would be, I mean, just for what he has done as a Juventus player, like we said, between injuries, between the, the shutdown, between everything, I don't think he's really uh, had time nor opportunity to really show what he could be. But I would be most concerned about what type of message that sends to other guys who are on free transfers. Who, I mean, Juventus has been the premier destination for free transfer players. But the latest ones we've had, I mean, we've really, I don't know if we've swinged and missed, but you got a guy like Ember Chan who came in, was here for a year, year and a half, was pretty much ostracized from Mauricio Sarri's squad and then sold. If Aaron Ramsey comes here, that's for one year and then gets sold again, Adrian Rabiot might be on the same thing. I mean, I don't know if we kind of lose that aspect of, you know, free players wanting to come here wanting to come to Juventus because they might be thinking, oh, if I don't pan out immediately, they're just going to look for a profit. So what's the point, right? I mean, I think Juventus had established a, some sort of reputation for being a club that, you know, respects their players' wishes, that really values that player-club relationship, you know, the whole thing about we, we will sell anybody who wants to leave, that, that kind of thing. I don't know if you're kind of maybe – tarnishing that image a little bit by transferring guys out after really not getting 
I don't know about fair shake, but I mean, not getting that much playing time. So that would be my concern in the long term. In the short term, if you can make a profit of, of Ramsey to bring in someone who might might be able to solidify that position, I think you have to do it. But I don't know, I, I'm on the fence. I, I would, I, I'm leaning towards keeping him at least for one more year, seeing if, if he can keep improving in, in Sarri's system. Plus, like we said, selling Aaron Ramsey would open up the number eight jersey for Rodrigo Bentancourt. And, you know, then it would, wouldn't look so awkward as one of your best players is wearing the number 30. So, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> thank you all for your Twitter questions. As always, we got a bunch of them, so we weren't able to get to all of them this week. But we will try like heck in the next episode to answer as many as we can. So, as always, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Like and subscribe and rate there. You can also find us on Spotify and on Google Podcasts. Thank you all for the feedback as you guys have been very kind to us these last few weeks. And knowing that we've got games coming up here for the next two and a half months straight, we will be definitely talking a whole lot more football than we were a few <laughs> a few weeks ago. So for Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, this is Danny saying thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.